As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Hello, friends. I'm Rick Warren, and welcome to Spurgeon Sermons. This is the official podcast brought to you by Premier and Spurgeon's College. You know, the teachings of Charles Spurgeon have had a personal impact on my life in a profound way, and I'm confident they'll do the same for you. So get ready to be challenged, equipped, and guided by Charles Spurgeon, who is universally regarded as the greatest English preacher in the history of the church. A Far-Reaching Promise, a sermon by Charles Spurgeon, April the 15th, 1883, Part 1. For the promise is unto you, and to your children, and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Acts chapter 2, verse 39. We learn from the text a fact worth remembering, namely that in the first stage of Christian ministry, the aim is that men and women should be pricked in the heart. Then in the second stage, the thing to be desired is that they should gladly receive the word. Notice what is said in the 37th verse. When they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. Then in the 41st verse, then they that gladly received his word were baptised. Hence, In the beginning, the preacher's business is not to convert people, but the very reverse. It is idle to attempt to heal those who are not wounded, to attempt to clothe those who have never been stripped, and to make those rich who have never realised their poverty. As long as the world stands, we need the Holy Spirit not only as the comforter, but also as the convincer who will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. I'm inclined to think that the large number of backsliders who, after they have professed to be converted, turn back to the world, may be accounted for by the fact that they never seriously felt their guilt and were never brought low by the work of the Holy Spirit, convincing them of their sin. Give me the old-fashioned form of conversion in which our fathers rejoiced. I have lived long enough to see people jump into what they call salvation and jump out of it, as men plunge into a cold bath when they get up in the morning. Here is a person with a diseased leg. The doctor has looked at the limb, but he has not used his knife. He has not cut out the proud flesh but he has applied a liniment and an ointment, and he has made a wonderful cure. Marvellous are the healing powers of the clever men, according to common report. He is high in repute everywhere around. Aye, so he may be. But the limb 
will never be right again. The surgeon has done a permanent injury to it under the pretense of having rendered its owner a great service. I believe that some men and women who are said to have been converted many times need to be converted now, and that multitudes of those who are trumpeted forth as having found the Saviour do not yet know why they want a Saviour and have not really found him, but have exercised presumption in the place of faith and a belief in their own excited feelings instead of in the Lord Jesus Christ. It must be so, I am sure, because we constantly see on all hands those who have been washed into deeper stains and who are worse after their so-called conversion than they were before. There must be, dear friends, a probing of people's hearts with the law before we can rightly bring to them the healing of the gospel. Old Robbie Flockhart's simile was a good one. He said you may take a piece of silk thread and try to sew with it as long as you like, but you will do nothing with it alone. You want a sharp, piercing needle to go first that will draw the silken thread after it. The needle of the law prepares the way for the thread of the gospel. There must be birth pangs or there will be no child born. The old-fashioned grace of repentance is not to be dispensed with. There must be sorrow for sin. There must be a broken and a contrite heart. This God will not despise. But a conversion which does not produce this result, God will not accept as genuine. So we will still continue to preach the law. We will thunder out the terrors of the Lord we will not be fashionable and popular and prophesy smooth things, lest our labour should be declared to have been in vain when the Lord shall return. I charge all brothers and sisters who are anxious for the true conversion of sinners to be sometimes a little backward in dealing out comfort to them. Wait till you see that it is really needed. Wait till you perceive that there is a wound before you apply the healing balm. Until people are willing to confess their sins, you have no ground upon which you can comfort them. It is the man who confesses and forsakes them who shall have mercy. Christ is a sinner's saviour. If a man is not a sinner, Christ has no salvation for him. Until he will take the sinner's place and frankly own their guilt, what is the use of preaching to them? Remember Christ's own words, they that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now I'm going to try to preach as wide, plain and open a gospel as I can, but I have no hope of its being accepted by anybody unless first of all they have been pricked in the heart. I'm persuaded that even the wondrous, limitless liberality of God is a thing which is despised by men and women until they have a sense of their need of his bounty. When that sense of need is wrought within them by the Holy Spirit, then they leap at the very sound of the gospel. But until then, their heart is gross, their ears are dull of hearing, and they care not for the free grace of God. 
Now let us come to our text. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. First, notice that the promise which God has made to man in Christ Jesus is a promise which exactly meets the need of mankind. What is that promise? First, it is the promise of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Peter quoted from the prophet Joel the promise which God had made, that in the latter days he would pour out his Spirit upon all humanity. That Holy Spirit is one of our most urgent needs. We are fallen, brothers and sisters, fallen through the agency of the evil spirit, and we need the help of the good spirit that we may be raised again. Our nature is polluted at its very centre. The old serpent has poured poison into the innermost fount of our being, and therefore we need the Holy Spirit to come and pour life into us, renewing us in the spirit of our mind. We need the Holy Spirit to illuminate us, for we are both blind and in the dark. We need the Holy Spirit to instruct us, for by nature we are ignorance itself, and it is his office to teach us. We need the Holy Spirit to soften our heart. Naturally, it is harder than the bottom millstone, which is always the harder of the two as it has to bear the grinding of the upper stone. We need the Holy Spirit to awaken us, for by nature we are dead in trespasses and sins, and to all good things callous and indifferent. Brothers and sisters, we need the Holy Spirit that we should be regenerated, for it is written, you must be born again. And we can only be born again, born from above, through the operation of the Spirit of God. When we are born again, we still need the Holy Spirit that he may sanctify us, that he may preserve us, that he may perfect us and make us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Therefore, sinner, if you say, I feel myself to be powerless, incapable, like one that is dead, do not let that stand in your way. For God gives the Holy Spirit on purpose to meet just such a need as yours. Everything that needs to be done, which you cannot do, the Spirit of God will help you to do. And that which you can do in a measure, but which you do very badly and inefficiently, the Spirit of God is given to help you to do. For he helps our infirmity. There is no strength wanted in you, sinner. He will be your strength. There is no good operation needed on your part. The Holy Spirit has come to work all your works in you. He works in us to will and to do according to his own good pleasure. And then we, in consequence, work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. If you will but believe in Christ... You do not need to come to him with a new heart. Here is the Spirit of God to give you that new heart. You do not need to strive to make yourself tender and humble in spirit. Here is the Spirit of God to make you tender and humble.
There is nothing that you need to endeavour to produce in yourself. For this divine being who hovered over chaos and brought order out of primeval confusion is ready to come and hover over you, over your disordered, chaotic soul. He can spread his dove-like wings over it till you come to light and love and life and liberty and joy. Oh, is not this a mercy that inasmuch as we are so weak and helpless, the promise of God is that he will give the Holy Spirit to those that ask him. Thank you for listening, friends. This podcast was brought to you by Premier in association with Spurgeon's College. For more Christian podcasts, sermons, and music, head back to the website premier.plus and sign in for free.